0: Welcome, everyone, to the Sunday edition of Bams Radio. As we review the forty to seventeen road win, the first road start, very successful of Jalen Milrose's tenure as the Alabama starting quarterback. Uh, definitely a, uh, a good, solid team win in all three phases as Alabama, uh, you know, beats the Mississippi State Bulldogs in Starkville yet again, and for unbelievably for the sixteenth time in seventeen years. Under Nick Saban in 16 years in a row, Alabama has now vanquished the Mississippi State Bulldogs. And we saw the end of one of the weirdest stats ever. Mississippi State, for the first time since 2014, throws a touchdown pass against Alabama. But that was about the only memorable thing Will Rogers accomplished. He was 15 of 27, was the senior. 107 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. Uh, as those turnovers played a huge role in this. Forty to seventeen route, and we're going to discuss it here with my two main cohorts: William Redfish Barger from '89 to '93, a national champion an, SC, an SEC champion, somebody that's still very close to the program, and then Thomas the Wizard Watts in the port city of Mobile, keeping us on the air and also giving us his thoughts and analytical takes. And now Alabama has, I think, they easily their second most difficult matchup of the year, and and because it's a road game, could be the most difficult. Uh, certainly, the Texas a and Maggie's aren't undefeated. They fell hard 48-33 in Week 2 at Miami and Mar- against Mario Cristobal's Hurricanes. But uh, Tyler Van Dyke had a great night that night. Uh, but, again, they've improved greatly since then. Even with the injury to starter Connor Wegman, Max Johnson, a former LSU quarterback who started against Alabama in the past, especially in Tuscaloosa, but now he's an Aggie and they didn't really skip a beat in thrashing Arkansas 34-22, to 22, and it really wasn't that close. So this is going to be the toughest maybe assignment of Milrose career as a starter, considering it's at home and considering A&M is one of the more talented teams of the SEC. And we're going to take a look back at Mississippi State, and we're going to take a look ahead to A&M here in this next hour or so on BAM's radio. And uh, I, will, I welcome William Barger into the conversation, William uh, Certainly, I you know we were all pretty close to what we thought might happen in this game against Mississippi State. Quite frankly, Mississippi State's just not very good. I know they're experienced, but uh, you could definitely tell the, the difference in the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Alabama had that advantage; they played uh, in uh, game planned around that and won the and won the battle in the trenches, which is always a key, and that's always of extremely important uh, you know, way to win on the road. And Alabama certainly did that, even though they got off to a little bit of a slow start in the first quarter. Yeah, I think it was, and, and I think, you know,
2: um I'm I'm probably the the least mathematical guru of the of the three of us on this podcast. But you know, one thing I really want to point out um to some of our listeners is when you when you first take a quick glance at the stats. And if you didn't really pay attention during the game, you're like, well, I mean, Mississippi State had a lot of success running the football on Alabama's defense. But it, but it's really a misleading stat because I think Mississippi State, and, and, you know, kudos to whoever their offensive coordinator is, I've got no clue, um, you know, I think they were very opportunistic in second and long, third and long situations um, where they out-schemed Alabama and you know, Alabama was expecting a pass. I mean, you know, second and long, third and long, you know, for quite some time now is uh, you know, back, you know, rest in peace when Mike Leach was calling the shots. Those were obvious passing downs that you would expect out of a, a Mississippi State offense, but you know, they had some good, you know, trickeration in my in my book anyway. I think they caught Alabama with their pants down. Um, so it wasn't like they had this you know, ground and pound rushing attack. It was just more, um, you know, playing the guessing game. And, and, you know, they caught Alabama when they were expecting a pass and they ran it. But, you know, I thought overall it was a a solid win um, for a team that continues to, uh, you know, try and find their identity, what they're good at, what they need to improve on. Um, You know, the test gets a little bit tougher uh, this coming Saturday. I don't know what I'm more excited about, watching Alabama's interior offensive line try and deal with some of the best defensive tackles in college football, or the fact that it's going to be below 50 degrees here Saturday night in the Birmingham area. I'm I'm pretty excited about
0: both. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, I think the uh, cooler weather excites everyone. It's more football weather. Uh, It was uh, good weather last night, no doubt. doubt, And uh, Alabama was able to pull away methodically, though. It was a little bit bothersome, uh, the first series of the game, once again, uh, just like against uh, South Florida, Alabama runs for a first down on the opening play, and then a couple of sacks taken by Jalen Milrow that weren't necessary that put Alabama way behind the sticks, made them punt the football, and Alabama didn't complete their second pass in the middle of the second quarter, and for a long time, one-for-one passing for 27 yards to Malik Benson, but Again, one thing, Milro at least didn't turn it over, uh, you know, and he started to get the passing game going in the second half. Still only, tw- uh, you know, 12 attempts, probably uh, his, uh, you know, his, he had a couple of touchdowns that weren't called runs that I thought were, were wise moves, but I think he should run even more. I've been a little bit uh, perplexed at uh, not getting under center in the short yardage. They did it once, but then another time they did, it didn't work, and then, even more so, why they haven't done the zone read more. Cause I still think, I and at times, you know, Jalen doesn't run that instinctively. He'll pull it when he should hand it off or hand it off when he should pull it. But I still think it's going to have to be a big part of things going forward and probably against Texas AM to help manipulate the defense. Cause Thomas, I was going to bring you into the conversation. Uh, Milro was very efficient, you know, 10 of 12, 164 yards or so. Uh, you know, and he, uh, and we know that he didn't turn it over, but, one thing is, is that uh, you know he's going to have to get to that second, and third read at times, and the zone read would also help them against a And M potentially be able to open up the passing game and throw it a little easier. And his legs would have to be accounted for, which would help the running backs because the one thing we do know is that a And M's defense is going to be pretty
1: stout up front. So, so, so Drew, let me let me sidebar. I'm going to I'm going to make your hosting duties a little bit harder. And uh, give a shout-out to our Patreon group. Uh, we had a few folks join in. Thank you very much. Yep. And, and, you know, as I said to those folks, if you end up having a question midweek, you know, Nick Saban says something, et cetera, shoot it to me or shoot it to us on Patreon. I'm, you're actually talking to me because I'm the technical wizard here. And I can send Drew and William a text message, and we can get you an answer pretty quick. So, you know, just a little extra to sort of join and support the show. But to your thing about Texas A&M, Drew, so I, I, I have hit the point in the season where the, the stats guy becomes the, – the math stats guy gets very, very happy because we have enough data sets to sort of start drawing conclusions. And honestly, the Texas A&M defense has been awesome all year particularly when it comes to shutting down the run and I actually somewhat disagree with you I think this is a game where Jalen Milrow is going to have to pass to set up the run which is really really scary given what we've seen so far but should he do that or if you're right Drew and Alabama is able to run the ball with let's call it fair consistency against Texas A&M that bodes very very well for the tides chances but Golly, when I started, you know, tearing apart these stats, I was just like, um, well, this uh, this is not a good matchup for this Alabama offense. But that being said, you, you know, Alabama has already seen a very good defense in Texas, whereas Texas hasn't seen Texas a excuse me, hasn't seen something like Alabama's bringing really Like, I I don't really buy into the Tyler Van Dyke as his own read quarterback thing. And then Auburn, God, I can't figure out Auburn. They go out and they get absolutely snowed under by the Texas A&M front on the road. But then Georgia comes to town and Auburn is able to do some things. But one of the things when you talk about the math of Mississippi State versus Alabama, it actually is very similar to the math of, Auburn, Georgia. Turnovers do weird things to statistics, and when you give Auburn short fields, they're able to have success. When you give Alabama short fields, you have forty to seventeen against Mississippi State. So it's one of those things where it's very easy to say, "Oh, Texas A and M," you know, or, or excuse me, the Auburn, Auburn, Georgia. You know, Georgia's not very good. Blah 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 blah. That, that that's a stretch. That's just a stretch. So, go ahead, William. I was just going to
2: say, because now you're bringing my uh, rampage back from yesterday about 4 o'clock, can I address the elephant in the college football world that does not involve the University of Alabama?
1: We are here for it. Go ahead.
2: I want to know who in the hell down there at Auburn, Alabama, made the decision to hire Hugh Freeze and him not be the freaking play caller. You know, if I'm hiring Hugh Freeze, I want the version of Hugh Freeze that was able to beat Nick Saban two years in a row with Ole Miss talent. Not this, you know, stalker of the sidelines and, and, and whoever in the hell's calling the plays is god-awful. You know, if, if Hugh Freeze wants a contract extension and wants to stay at Auburn long-term, If I'm an Auburn fan, I'm pissed off because this is not what I was expecting, and don't get me wrong, Um, watching them on a Saturday in the fall makes me feel a little bit better about Alabama's offensive line and Alabama's quarterback situation, but it's, it's almost like Saturday afternoon blasphemy, having to watch some dude up in the press box that I've never heard of before dial this bullshit up that he does every Saturday and you've got one of the best offensive minds a, a guy that Nick Saban broke his back over trying to hire him just as an analyst when he was quote unquote blackballed from the SEC so to speak it, it's just I mean you know look, one of my best friends is a huge Auburn fan we, we've watched the Alabama and Auburn game you know together for years grew up an Alabama fan uh, forgot to fill out his paperwork on time, said, I'm going to Auburn for a year, then I'll be in Tuscaloosa, and I never heard from him again. But, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't have any vested interest in this rampage, but I'm, I'm just saying this, if I'm an Auburn fan listening to this podcast, y'all ain't getting your money's worth down there. And I understand there's challenges, and then the roster needs to be upgraded with talent. But that, that to me, is like one of the biggest Stories so far of the young college football season after one month is why in the hell did not Hugh Freeze calling the plays?
1: And that's a hell of a question, William. And the answer is I don't know. I'll certainly ask some of the, people, the Auburn fans I work with what they think. But but just to sort of dovetail my point, and then Drew, kick it back to you. The the turnover thing, and this is where I was going with it. The Alabama Mississippi State game the three interceptions really broke some of the statistics in my head. And so, you know, as I look at the math of Texas A&M, as we're talking about that game next week also, I don't know some of the, like, Alabama put a certain set of stats on paper. But those stats have, frankly, I think they have a TBD behind them. And... You know, there's a lot of stuff that has to be sussed out here over the next week in terms of what it actually means and how Alabama is going to be able to attack Texas A&M. But at the same time, here's here's kind of the break point. If Alabama is able to run efficiently, and generally efficient running is about – three and a half four yards a carry Alabama was at 4.5 against Mississippi State that was I don't I actually don't like that statistic because there's a 55-year touchdown run from Jalen Morrow in there but if Alabama was able to do that consistently against A&M they'll win it's real hard to see it if Alabama gets into the you know low threes high twos against the Aggie front Drew
0: yeah there's no doubt about that Thomas I mean the Aggie front to me is that that matchup and whether Alabama wins the line of scrimmage on both sides is going to decide the game. I mean, um, the A&M run defense has been pretty good thus far. I know they shut down Arkansas, but let me caveat this. I know we're only a month in, but we're kind of starting to figure out the SEC. And I was wrong about Mississippi State and Nashville. They're, they're probably the worst team in the West. If they're not the worst, it's Arkansas because Arkansas has a horrendous offensive line. Uh, both those teams aren't very good. They're going to be fighting it out at the bottom. Obviously, Lane got, you know, his, uh, his kinks worked out, and they thrashed <laughs> that LSU offense, and he, and they had to, because Wild Turkey gave up the usual half a hundred. And, uh, you know... In, well, uh, Andrew, in let, me, let me jump in.
1: I'm sorry. How big a yeah. deal was it for, in two weeks in a row, Alabama to hold that LSU offense to ten on the road, and you then Ole Miss? and or excuse me, Ole Miss. Excuse me. I thank you. I, 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 we're talking about too many teams. So my brain turned into scrambled eggs. For Alabama, to hold Ole Miss to ten points at home, right? And then Ole Miss to score fifty-five on LSU. Like, how in big range, a like, feather in the cap? Feather in the cap is it for this Alabama defense? Well, it's
0: big. Well, now I mean, Thomas, you, go ahead. Now Thomas, now. you got to address the other elephant
2: in the room. I know some old Miss fans that will swear to you up and down to your face that Lane Kiffin sandbags it against Nick Saban every season because he wants to be the next head coach at Alabama.
1: Yeah, that's but not how that one, works, one but, okay. that I,
2: <laughs> but one thing that I would like to point out, because I wasn't really aware of it until I watched the broadcast last night, got to see the dude's body language. We, we basically beat a team last night on the road in Starkville that does not have a head coach. There's a guy that's got the title. But I'm going to tell you something. I would be surprised if Zach Arnett is the head coach in Starkville come February 1st of 2024. That was terrible. I've never seen, I've never seen somebody that, you know, without having a sign hanging around his neck saying, I'm in over my head, somebody please help me. Um, like you saw last night, um, it it was, it was really kind of painful for me to watch, um, just some of the stuff they were attempting to try and and do. And, you know, then I look up and you've kind of got a proven commodity in my mind at quarterback and Will Rogers. And all of a sudden this two quarterback system rears its ugly head for Mississippi state. um, You you, you know, and and, and one of the things that that I want to point out about last night was, you know, this defense, I'm not going to put it in the same conversation with 2015, 1992, 1977, whatever you want to go out there. It's not an elite defense. But I do think that the, the, the coaches on that side of the football, are are squeezing every ounce of talent and ability out of those guys. Anytime I wake up on a Sunday morning and I go to the box score and there's three turnovers by the defense, um, eight tackles for a loss, and I think this is correct, four sacks. Um, Yeah. if, if, If the offense is just protecting the ball and got Jay Barker at quarterback and a turd like me playing right guard, you're going to be able to win with that with that type of defensive performance, albeit it's against Mississippi State, who doesn't have a head coach. Um, but still that's going out there and and you know living up to your billing and you know getting defensive production. You know, when you when you give the offense three turnovers and you know, what? what I, I think the two interceptions, you had an outside linebacker and Braswell, an inside linebacker, and Campbell, and Caleb yeah. Downs. And, you know, I've been sitting on the edge of my couch for five weeks now uh, waiting to see Caleb Downs read the quarterback's eyes and, and break on a ball like he did. But, you know, for Braswell to get a pick six, um, I mean, I love seeing the growth of Uh, Campbell, you know, in in Lawson's place, and I realize that Marshall's the one that's barking the signals out. Um, I I still would love to see. I've been told that he doesn't understand the playbook, and that's one person's fault. It's not on this podcast. I mean, I I would love to see that Justin Jefferson that we saw in the A-Day game back in April uh, you know, getting, getting more reps than he's gotten, but, you know, man, there's, there's some really good things going on the Alabama defensive side of the football, you know, after, after the month of September, um, and, you know, Drew, I know we've had a lot of conversations with Thomas and other people about this only at the university of Alabama. Would you have a six foot three, two hundred and thirty pound quarterback that runs a four five forty or maybe even faster, from what I've heard, who's been coached his whole life to be the next Tom Brady, and and not take advantage of his God given gifts, which I know you were harping on earlier about the zone reads and you know, uh, it, it reminds it makes me hit the rewind button. And go back to what was that the 15 or 16 Old Miss game at home, where yeah. Saban made the made the lethal mistake of starting Cooper Bateman over uh, Jacob Coker because yeah, they I thought think, they could yeah. have success yeah. running the zone read, and and you know Cooper Bateman kept the ball every time he was supposed to hand it off, and he handed it off every time he was supposed to run, and that's kind of yeah. what we're getting with Jalen Milrow running the zone read, and and you know. To me, it's time to take the gloves off. And I don't really think – I mean, I I would hate to have Tommy Reese's job right now because it would be real easy to construct a Cahaba Heights Black Knights level sixth-grade football offense with what Jalen Milrow is good at. But what he's good at and what he's willing to do are two different things at this point in time. And so I, you know, I would hate to be Tommy Reese right now because he's damned if he does, he's damned if he doesn't with whatever, what, whatever plan he puts into place. You know, you, you talk about him, you know, taking those two unnecessary sacks in the first half. And that was just a garden variety. Somebody has programmed it into that kid to stay in the pocket as long as reasonably possible. And don't tuck it and run it when you're a, and world class athlete. It's you know, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not banging on Jalen Milrow. It, it, you know, he is what he is at this point. But you know, man, it, it, it's obvious that that kid has been programmed to not take advantage of what God has given him naturally to do. It's it's, it's very frustrating, and I'm not blaming Jalen Milrow. I'm blaming his dad. I'm blaming Tommy Reese, and maybe even to a lesser point, uh, uh point, pointing out, you know. And Nick Saban, I mean, I I can tell you this right now. If they would run what Lane Kiffin attempts to try and do with a poor man's version of Jalen Milrow and Jackson Dart,
0: shit, they'd throw up 40 to 50 points against everybody they play. I don't disagree with that, and I think if I even watched what Hugh Freeze did with two tomato cans, uh, you know, against Georgia, because I don't think Jack, uh, excuse me, Peyton Thorne is that good, obviously. He's pretty, that's He's pretty not. Changed. He's terrible.
2: Yeah, <laughs> They, they the got ball. him out of the portal. They got him out of the portal to try and improve their passing game, and he's done anything but that.
0: Yeah, they, they, they can't throw the ball. And we know Ashford's a really good runner, and he had a touchdown. But I think Milrow, he, he's much faster and more explosive. But you made the, 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 the biggest caveat is, what is he willing to do? And I just think they needed to be hammering at Milrow about the zone read. You need to be coaching him up. You need to be involving that part of the offense because if Alabama's going to reach their potential and and compete for a championship this year with Milroe at quarterback, it has to be with his legs. Because we saw it yesterday when Alabama finally got on the scoreboard. You know, uh, on, on about the third possession, uh, Milroe did take off and run, and when he did. He did it. He didn't do it right away. It wasn't a called run, but we all saw it. He took the middle of the field was wide open, and he outran two guys that had the angle on it and made them look, you know, like they were constipated. And he ran into the end zone, and it was from 53 yards out. And so he is capable of doing that anytime and just needs to willingly run the football. And if they would, you know, make defenses account uh, for the zone read, because I did tweet too that. I felt like on one play on third down and one Alabama got stopped, had to kick field goal because Milro should have pulled it. A coach the me and told me, it, well, he was looking to the other side and it was a called run. It was a direct run. It wasn't his own read. And I said, well, then it should have been because that's when you use it. And when he when he reads the defensive end crashing, he's supposed to pull. But, again, I think in some cases, and this is on Tommy Rees and Nick Saban, but they're trying to hide the quarterback. Uh, They're trying. They don't want him to throw the ball uh, very often because they don't trust him, and then he won't willingly run. So it just kind of hamstrings the offense. So I'll just say this: They're not going to beat Texas A&M unless they can willingly run Jalen Milrow, and he's prepared to do so. And then they have to give their defense something else to look at from his own read perspective. Because I'll be honest, Auburn did not have near the personnel that Georgia did but they used the zone read, they gave them misdirection, and they rushed for 200 yards, and they took the some bitches all the way down to the final quarter before the best tight end I've ever seen in my life in college football took the game over. And if that son of a bitch, and I'm going to say this, I can use this kind of language on this podcast, is not a top-five draft pick, they should fire every front office in the National Football League for because they don't know what the hell a football player looks like. And don't my Brock don't Bowers. Be, oh, yes. If somebody tries well, to Well, let me let me, me
2: let me let me say this uh, to piggyback off of what you just said. There were two things that happened in the college football world last year in December that were two of the biggest college football sins I've ever witnessed. The first one being that Bryce Young was not invited back to New York oh, yeah. as you know one of the the five best college football players in the country. You know he's he's the defending Heisman winner, and if you watch how he carried that team last year, was not a very good supporting cast around him. That was the first sin. The second sin was inviting Stetson Bennett from the University of Georgia to be one of the attendees over some cat's name. Now, you know, Drew, because I think he did a lot more damage at the professional level, Uh, you know, one of the heroes of of my youth since I played tight end up until somebody told me I had to get fat and play offensive line because I wasn't fast enough. But for Brock Bowers not to have been invited to – New York City last year for the Heisman ceremony, and his walk-on quarterback getting the invite over him was the second biggest sin beyond Bryce Young not to get a return invite. No, Brock Bowers, and and I mean Drew, I've seen him like in street clothes being interviewed, and he looks like some frat boy that's just come off of a kegger, uh, you know, a three-day bender at the at the KA house. I mean, he doesn't even really look like a dominating football player, especially at his position, is supposed to look. But I'm not ready to say that I think he's better than what Mark Bavaro was in the 80s for the New York Giants. But when when you look at today's game and, and what that cat does week in and week out, blocker, you know, yards after contact, um, to me, um, now I'll say this, I think the quarterback from Washington is, is, is making a case. And I know that's the sexy pick to always go with the quarterback, but to me, just as a pure football player, Brock Bowers, you know, breathes it and lives it every freaking Saturday. And, um, you know, I mean, I just think it's comical. That, that Stetson Bennett got the invite to New York City last year when the guy that he was slinging the ball to, you know, no further really on an average pass, seven to nine yards, what was really the most talented guy on that,
0: you know, two-time defending national championship team last year. It's crazy. Some people may think I've got wild turkey in my coffee right now, but I've, I've watched a lot of Georgia football. And, of course, you know, he, he finished playing when I was – you know, five, six, seven years old. Uh, And so I didn't get a chance to really pay attention and watch him. But of of the players that I've seen, that I've watched play football at Georgia, Brock Bowers is the best football player I've ever seen put on a Georgia uniform. Now he'd probably be the second best that Herschel Walker and probably in, in in the history, in, in my, my, if I had to say historically for me, but he's the best that I've seen because I never saw Herschel officially because I was too young. But Brock Bowers is just a freakazoid. And, and, and guys, I can also preface it by saying that I was in, in Indianapolis when Alabama lost the national championship game. I've seen that SOB up close. And it doesn't do justice until you see him play physically. He is a monstrosity. He made two catches back-to-back yesterday with one hand that were just disgusting. One of them got called back. But he is still just an un- he is just a man. He it was third and twelve, and the game was tied. Who do you think Auburn's? Uh, you know they're going to try to cover him, but who do you think Georgia's going to? He makes a difficult catch, and then he makes the forty-yard over the middle. You know somehow they didn't jam him off the line of scrimmage. But he is just a money player. He's a great blocker. He's a great competitor. He should be a Heisman Trophy finalist. I don't care what anybody tells. I don't give a damn if he plays tight end. It doesn't matter to me. He's He kind of breaks the mold. I mean, William brought up Martin Bavaro. The only thing is he's more explosive than Bavaro. Bavaro was a hell of a blocker and a great receiver and one of my favorite players of my youth, two of my favorite players of my youth. The first NFL team I kind of really latched on to when I was young was that 86 Giants team. I love Joe Morris. It was the first you know football jersey I ever owned, but I also – Really like uh, you know Mark Bavaro, Phil McConkey, and all those guys. I oh, really that, that that
2: team had some dogs on it. That, that a lot of you know, yeah, they had Lawrence Taylor, but they had a lot of dogs on that team. Yeah,
0: they did. Yeah, I they guess did. I was
2: yeah. I was sixteen, um, in '86. So you know, I remember all those cats. But you know, Drew, the thing that intrigues me about Bowers is. You know, getting off the bus, um, you know, Alabama's got Jaheim Otis and, you know, Caden Proctor. You know, they got some guys that you want to get off the bus first and, you know, maybe put some some uh, intimidation into the opposing fan base. But I'm just telling you, after seeing him on, I think it was like an SEC Network sit-down interview yeah. where, you know, he had on a blazer and a, and a you know, coat and tie, whatever. I mean, shit, he looked like he should be playing pro volleyball or, you know, m- maybe, uh, uh, you know, a pro tennis player. He didn't look like a guy that you could go out in today's world of college football and say, well, you know, man, I mean, you're more of a, a hybrid guy. You're more of an H-back, but we're going to ask you to be an inline line guy and, you know, hook 275-pound defensive ends in the run game and then, you know, maybe run past a guy like Deontay Lawson that went fully healthy, you know, that's a, a four five, four six guy playing inside linebacker, or, you know, somebody that really hasn't become an every, you know, day name in, in the world of college football, but I can promise you he is, in um, Caleb Downs. Uh, but, I mean, he just does it on the hoof look to be as intimidating and as dominant like you said man i mean when the game's on the line hell that son of a bitch is going to be open by a mile um yeah, and, and you know hey as an alabama fan i want to say why can't we have one of those guys and they might have one in amari neil black and they just don't involve him as much
0: well it's because the passing game's limited The the quarterback is still developing i'm not you know, and he's right now he's limited in what he can do as a passer. But he is QB one. I understand that. Um, yeah, I think he's still got to continue to evolve. He made some plays last night, but you know, it, it, to me, when you're only when you only have 12 pass attempts and you probably only called 16, 17 passes, you're going to have to do a better job. You're going to have to, you know, complete. I think 20 passes to beat the Texas A&M. Okay. You're going to have to have enough balance because you're not going to be able to just run the ball down their throats. And then part of the running game is going to have to be a willing Jalen Milrow because he gives you the explosiveness to make big plays. And so Alabama didn't play, you know, Jermaine Burton a lot last night for whatever the hell reason. They're going to need more out of him. They didn't really make explosive pass plays last night. Nye Black did have a good game. He's going to have to be involved. But, you know, they're going to have to have, they're going to have to play better than they did against Texas. And what I mean by that is, against Texas, they made mistakes. They're not. They're going to have to make no mistakes or one or less. They're going to have to run the football probably for 150 yards, and they're going to have to throw the ball for 250. They need to hit 400 yards of offense against A&M and win the turnover battle. If they do that, they can win on the road. If not, it's going to be tough, Thomas, because uh, the metrics and you look at the numbers A&M's got, This is going to be on on the road, another road start for Milrow. But Alabama is going to have to sustain more offense than they did. And Will Reichert bailed him out last night. He's a great kicker. But you can't be settling for three a lot. You've got to punch it in against A&M because A&M has the second-best skill, guys. I don't think they're quite as good as Texas. But they do have Max Wright, a solid tight end. They've got a nice uh, Smith who's been around for 15 years. Uh, punt returner and and wide receiver. They've got Evan Stewart. Uh, They've got, of course, Le'Veon Moss, who used to be an Alabama commitment at running back. He's basically taking over as their top back. They've got dudes, man. And so uh, the defense is going to have to keep Alabama in it and, again, force some turnovers. But A&M is going to score some points. I think they're going to score in the 20s. So it goes back to my old mantra. Alabama got 40 last night, outstanding on the road, but they're going to have to probably – get anywhere from 28 to 35 to 38, 28 to 38 points, to be honest with you, if you want to beat A&M in this game, because I think A&M's got good enough players to score points. Well, and um, before Thomas
2: gets cranked up on his stats, let, let's spell it out in a black and white world. What Drew is trying to tell the listening audience is um, A&M's defense – is really, really good in the front seven. The biggest weakness is on the back end. So if Milrow can get it cranked up, you know, in in the passing game, that's the easiest path of victory for Alabama is is to get a passing game dialed in. Um, You know, if you're sitting here at 345 on Sunday Um, October the 1st, and you want me to predict the outcome of this game, well, have Nick Saban email or fax me the offensive game plan because I can tell you whether it's going to be successful or not. You know, this isn't going to be the game where you cuss J.C. Latham or Caden Proctor. This is going to be the game where if Seth McLaughlin keeps up with the yips and the bad snaps – and Darian Dalcourt and Tyler Booker don't live up to their billing. That's where this thing will get dicey because those big bastards, they have playing defensive tackle for them. Um, and I know they spent a ton of money to get them, but they're legit.
1: Well, we yeah, just... they are legit, no doubt. Go and ahead, no Drew. I'm sorry about
0: their comment, but no, that's all good. I was just going to say, uh, I completely agree with that. It's going to come down to, you know, being able to expand the toolbox of, of Milrow. He's going to have to hit some big vertical plays. But, again, I think also to help the running game, you're going to have to have the zone read concepts be there. And on maybe some broken plays, is going to have to make plays. That's just what, how it's going to have to be because uh, A&M is good enough uh, to stand up to Alabama on the line of scrimmage. But I will say uh, I do think Alabama's capable of winning this game. But they're going to have to play their best game of the season because we know they, they lost to Texas and they didn't uh, play a mistake
1: pregame, Thomas. Well, and that's absolutely right. And so, you know, you look at these games, and, you know, we're five weeks into the season. AM lost to Miami, Alabama lost to Texas. And you start looking at those statistics, and AM beats the teams they're supposed to beat and they beat them fairly badly. But then, why did they lose Why did they lose to Miami? They lost to Miami because Tyler Van Dyke threw the ball all over the yard on that defense. There and, you go. And can Jalen Milrow do that? Frankly, I don't know. Because even if you look at the Mississippi State game, where Alabama struggled, was in... Inefficient third down situations. Yeah, Jalen Milrow is able to sort of play the 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 pseudo Johnny Manziel, poor man's Jalen Hurts role of direct traffic, run around, throw ball to Amari Black. Oh my God, twenty yard play, happy days. And I've been the biggest Jalen Milrow killer of them all. He's gotten better.
2: Yeah, I'm right there. I'm right there with you, Thomas. But go ahead.
1: Yeah, uh, fair enough. But but the, the point is. You know, he's gotten better, but this is a completely different ball of wax as far as I'm concerned. And it comes down so, – so when you look at statistically a college football game, just as a, as a, as a thing, like let's just – let's pull the players out and let's look at pure math. You start break, getting into break points. And what I mean by break points is if you're above a certain point, you're efficient and you're able to move the ball. If you are below a certain point, you're not. Okay, that makes some sense. Now, what does it actually mean in the context of this game? It means, do you buy into Alabama being able to run the ball efficiently enough to keep Jalen Milrow on schedule? If you buy that, Alabama should win this pretty convincingly because I really do think the— One thing that we haven't talked about from the Mississippi State game is the Alabama defense travels, guys. Like, we, we've gone from Jesus take the wheel, we're going on the road, <laughs> yeah, we're going on the road, I don't know what's going to happen, to the Alabama defense is going to show up, and they're going to give up some yards. And, you know, even last, you know, against Mississippi State, they gave up, oh, you know, 261 yards, but... If you're going to tell me that Alabama can give up 261 to a decent, if not decent, not great offense, I'll take it every day of the week. You hold a modern college football team under 300. I'm there for it. Sign me up once a day and twice on Sunday. But that's what I mean when I say breakpoints. And so do I buy that Alabama is going to be able to stay efficient running? Frankly, I don't. I just don't. This Alabama offensive line has not been consistent enough to make me confident saying that. Now, you know, I said as before, you know, Miami scored 48, AM scored 33. I don't think this AM offense is scoring 33 points on this Alabama defense. I don't think the A&M offense is as good as the Texas offense was a couple of weeks back. And even saying that, Texas was able to take advantage of some short fields. And that's what I was trying to get to with the, the, the turnover point, kind of breaking statistical concepts. But overall, when I look at this Alabama team, I do buy into, even though I think Texas is a better team than Texas a and I do buy into that since it's on the road and there has been historically a lot, and even we saw it over the past, this past weekend, good team struggle on the road. I think this is Alabama's toughest test. I really do, particularly now that we have more data to look at. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to Jalen Milroe. Is Jalen Milrow able to do the things to force the Texas A&M defense to adjust? You know, one of the bizarre things about the Mississippi State defense is Alabama was able to do some things running the ball to the point that they almost didn't have to pass the ball but Mississippi State was just absolutely committed to we're going to play three high safeties you were not going to beat us over the top and Alabama was able to drive and they were able to score every single drive outside of those two first stinkers and then fourth quarter garbage time I just don't believe that a and is going to let Alabama beat them you know death by a thousand cuts and they're going to force Jalen Miller to pass the ball do I think Texas A&M is vulnerable in the back end? Comparatively so, because the Texas A&M defense is elite along the front. But at the end of the day, I don't know. You know, I looked at the line, and I, I was, you know, getting ready for the show, blah, 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 blah. And it's like Alabama by a touchdown. I've seen Alabama by a touchdown to Alabama by three. And I just burst out laughing because so it was like, guys, guys, come on now. Where, where are we coming from this? Alabama has, by the 247 composite, the most talented team in college football. That shouldn't be taken away from them. Texas A&M has number four. So talent in most positions is a push. So, you know, as we look look at it, Drew, I have to be honest. Give me a reason to pick Alabama because this A&M team is good and this A&M team is playing at home. And when you look at just unit v. unit, the A&M team is good enough, I think, to really make Alabama inefficient on the ground. And the only team that's been able to do that consistently has been Texas. But that was Texas at home. That was also Texas with Milrow as the worst version of himself. And Jalen Milrow in the past two weeks, to me, has been a lot better quarterback. He's been able to do the things asked of him at a higher level and so my question to you, Drew, and you can kick it to him if you like, do you buy into Jalen Milrow seeing more live reps and being a better quarterback to be able to get over the hump against the Texas A&M Aggies?
0: Well, that's what's going to be the answer to the question. If it's yes, Alabama wins. If it's no, they're going to get that ass whooped. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, if Alabama wins the game, I think it's going to be something like a a 28 uh, to you know, twenty four, twenty seven, twenty four type game. Uh, if they lose the game, it's going to be something to the effect of probably about a a, a twenty eight seventeen type deal, where the offense crashes and burns because the quarterback doesn't play well. Uh, he, I just think overall, when you look at it, I think Alabama, like I said, they're going to have to score between twenty eight and thirty eight points. I still think the rushing yards need to be one fifty, the turnovers one or less. And the all-purpose yards from Jalen Milrow need to be 300-plus or more. And that means when you count uh, what he throws for and rushes for, whatever the combination that may be, and he needs to account for three or four touchdowns with his legs and arm. If he does, he has to be the MVP of this game. If he is, then Alabama wins it. And that means also he's able to, you know, take some pressure off the offensive line by willingly running and being smart when he does, and then throwing the ball on time and maybe hitting a big player too, William, because I thought the offensive line, and I know it wasn't a good football team, but I still thought the O line uh, played their best game on Saturday and they're gonna have to play even better against AM. Um now if you're kicking the
2: question to me, um, I'm gonna go off on this rampage. Um I still have PTSD from Jalen Milrow's performance against Texas A&M last year. Um, right, you know, right. If, 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 right. You know if you know if that's the environment that the Alabama football coaches want to ask that young man to go into Saturday at two thirty. I think that's the kickoff time. Um, yeah. Then we're probably going to get the same damn repeat performance. That, that, that we got from it. But, you know, at some point, whether I was Jalen Milrow's dad or Jalen Milrow or Nick Saban or Tommy Reese, I would look up there at the 275, I think I'm quoting this right, $275 million contract that Jalen Hurts just got. From the Philadelphia Eagles, and I would say, you know, this was a guy. Um, You know, when I compare Jalen Hurts' college career to Jalen Milrose's career, um, you know, Jalen Hurts was not as fast, not as quick twitch, um, not as explosive, but, you know, he got his yards and he got things done the right way. And I think you can build a team around a guy like Jalen Hurts. I mean, you know, they they got that, you know, supposed unstoppable, you know, fourth and one, third and one deal that they do. And, you know, having Jason Kelsey and Landon Dickerson um, involved with that, you know, helps a lot. But, you know, if I'm Nick Saban and I'm Tommy Reese, You know, I I get this guy involved. I mean, you know, I run zone reads. I throw tunnel screens. I throw traditional screens to the running backs, Um, you know, going into this Texas A&M game. And we haven't seen this out of, you know, the the 2023 offensive coaching staff where they do things to make Jalen Milrose life easier on a saturday in a big park in the united states and i know this because i get plenty of text messages from former teammates bitching about this and bitching about that but there's a lot of things that you can do with that young man and make him more successful now if it really is Nick Saban's offense and you have to be this guy and, you know, function under, uh, you know, Nick's rules, this, that, and the other. I mean, I read a great article yesterday about, you know, Lane Kiffin getting fired from USC. And, And I think all the things that led up to that is something that, you know, the obvious college football fans should read. But, You know, if we're asking this guy to put a round peg into a square hole, then we deserve whatever, you know, return we get on a Saturday from from Jalen Milrow. And I just don't think that he's been put in a situation, despite what, you know, Drew, you and I know, and, you know, now Thomas knows, um, You know, if that's the situation we're asking him to be put in, don't expect phenomenal results because we're not asking him to be successful. We're asking him to do something that is
0: against what he's been trained to do. Well, it's true. I just think he needs to expand his toolbox, and I think he needs to play to his strengths and his – I think they need to get him to believe it's kind of sounds funny. I think they just need to get him to believe in his athletic ability and understand that's how God gifted him. If he's going to expand his toolbox. And I just saw a very interesting stat from one of our sharper guys in our Facebook group fellas. And we're in a Facebook group with some Alabama football fans. And he just put up a stat that just kind of makes you shake your head. And I really hadn't thought about it, but it's the truth. I mean, he he, uh, he he just uh, posted it like 5 hours ago and it's that Alabama has been in the had made 13 red zone trips and scored on 12 of them this year and yet they have no touchdown passes in the red zone which is just stunning but that was a huge issue with Jalen Milroe uh when I saw the, the scrimmages and practices in the spring and fall was that they settled for a lot of field goals and he didn't finish drives well that's going to have to change against Texas A&M because they're going to load the box. They're going to try to, you know, challenge Alabama and make him throw. And he's going to have to use his legs some on broken plays and even on zone reads. And then he's going to have to RPO it and, you know, and make them pay. And I think he did throw a touchdown against them in the red zone last year to uh, one of the, one of the bright moments uh, to Jermaine Burton. So you know, uh, Milroe is going to have to play a lot cleaner than he did a year ago, and he's going to just have to step his game up. And the coaches are going to have to help him out, but he's going to have to also perform. And I think he has improved incrementally, just not a ton, but he's going to have to take a jump, Thomas, uh, in this game for Alabama to win. Because if Alabama wins, I still say, uh, to me, it's going to be uh, a 27-24, 28-24 type game. And that's basically what they won last year. But he's going to have to be the MVP of this game to, for Alabama
1: to win it. It's going to be a nip and tuck affair throughout. And the, the the point I tried to make about turnovers is, in kind of a ham-fisted way, I admit that, turnovers break stats. And, yeah. and, and, and so, and what do I mean? Let's talk about the Alabama Mississippi state game. The time of possession was Alabama won by 10 seconds. whoop de doo but they won by, you know, 23 points. The, the issue is, and the reason that stat, I bet if you only looked at the first half was weird is Alabama yeah. had a pick six. Well, that means Mississippi state controlled the ball for like 20 minutes of that half. That doesn't mean that they're dominating. It means that, you know, even in the first half, they lost thirty-one to ten. So, when I look at this game, when I think about it, Melrose has got to play clean football. The Alabama team has to play clean football. I've got to be honest. You know, Alabama has a, has talent out the wazoo, but they're not so much more talented than Texas A and M to come in and play a sloppy game and expect to win and there are really two sides to it does Alabama take the next step forward to evolve and form their own identity and that means score 31 you know I don't think under 30 they're going to win the game do they score 31 35 and come up with a win look I think it's a toss-up I think this line is a trap every day of the week but can they do that? If they can, well, let me put it to you this way. If we come back next week and Alabama has won by two possessions, in you know, their 38-28 sort of score, look out. Because Alabama is going to be able to consistently bring that sort of Jalen Hurtsy, you know, tw- mid-2010s offense everywhere they go up until the SEC title game. Once we get to the SEC title game, all bets are off. But anyway, we won't quite count those particular ducks, but or chickens, excuse me. They're, they're waterfowl. Call it that way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but anyway, that pardon my mixed metaphors, listeners. We always appreciate you. But no, I liked it. There you go. So, so I got it. Uh, I excellent. At least at least one, <laughs> one person gets it. Happy days. Uh, but but all joking aside. It's just hard to believe that Alabama is going to be able to do what they've done so far. And if they do, that spells wonderful things. Now, what does an Alabama win look like? It looks like Jalen Milro is decisively the best player on the field. And we hear on telecasts, we hear from insiders that he's the most athletic guy on the team, he's the fastest guy on the team, blah, 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 blah. It's time to show it. Like, that, that, that's thats what it is to me, Drew. It's time to show it. Like, in your decision-making, in your directing traffic, in your understanding. Because you and I have both been in Davis-Wade Stadium with those god-awful cowbells. I've also been in... Oh, God, I don't remember what the, sta- the stadium is at Texas Stadium. It doesn't really matter. But I've been in there, and that's a jet engine. That's a jet engine without cowbells. And... This environment is as hostile as Jalen Milrow will see this season. And he's got to respond. Running the ball, you know, pulling – doing the correct reads on a zone read, should Tommy Reese call it. Um, Making the right reads on passing downs, keeping the team together. And there's going to be adversity that hits in this game, whether it's an interception – whether it's two or three straight, three and out, five and out sort of circumstances, there's going to be adversity. Texas A&M is that talented. Well, Jalen Milrow was the first guy out to, you know, give high fives and all that against Mississippi State. So Jalen Milrow is going to have to be the guy that circles the wagons because if you think Alabama's is going to walk into College Station and just, you know, ho de doe doe do. let us get a win, happy days. Everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows. You're insane. Like, you're just insane. This is a very tough test for the Alabama team. If they fail, I have to be honest, I won't be that surprised. If they pass it, should they win? As I said, look out, because suddenly this Alabama team... You know, it would technically be the first weekend in October. I'm not going to give them Sunday because that doesn't matter in college football. First weekend in October, this Alabama team has gone through some early struggles. They were further behind the eight ball than I thought they would be starting. But holy Moses, Nick Saban's pulling it together through sheer force of will. And as friends of mine who talk about college football a lot know what I say when I say this, we ridin'. But Alabama's got to get there first, Drew. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, and uh,
0: I'm going to show some faith. I'm going to pick them to win. You know, 27-24 on a late Will Riker field goal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Melrose to step up. Um, I, you know, I, I think he's capable of doing it. I know I've been critical of him, but uh, but it's also going to be up to the coaches. They have to put the zone read into the uh, game plan. And they have to rep it and rep it and rep it. And, again, the one good thing is, like, if they do that, A&M hasn't even seen it because Alabama has barely run it since Middle Tennessee. So if you go back and look at it, they didn't even run it that much against Texas. So, you know, you're going to have to, uh, you know, change some things up, give A&M some things they haven't seen on film. And so I think that's going to be really key and up to the coaches. I think the Alabama front seven defensively is going to have to put their big boy pants on. They're going to have to tackle well. The one good thing is Max Johnson, I mean, he's not immobile, but he's not a dual threat quarterback. So they should be able to pressure him, hopefully get him on the ground. And then again, they've got to contain Le'Veon Moss in this running game. But it's going to be a tough challenge, no doubt about it. A&M is definitely capable. Uh, I have a lot of respect for their talent. I think their coach is a scumbag line piece of trash. But again, you know, I I, I think uh, and I don't think he's in Nick Saban's category. And that's why I think Alabama can find a way to win a close game, because hopefully Jimbo some way, you know, down the stretch in the fourth quarter like he usually does. But again, I just think overall it's going to be a tough challenge for Alabama, but it's time for them to have a quote unquote signature win for this season. They don't really have one yet. I think Ole Miss was a good performance. Uh, You know, but I think A&M is more talented, so they need to go on the road and flex a little bit. Uh, And if they do, I think they'll flex with Milrow, uh, you know, being the QB and being the MVP. I'll make a prediction. If Alabama doesn't win this game, Milrow will not be long to be in the starting quarterback. I think they'll because Alabama is going to be almost out of contention. And uh, to me, you take a look at Ty Simpson, even Dylan Lonergan and some other guys who are going to be the future. Milrow, well, this will decide if he is going to be a multi-year starter at quarterback for Alabama on Saturday. If the coaching staff can put him in position to play play well, and if he seizes the opportunity, because this is a fork in the road game for Milrow and for Alabama for the rest of this uh, season, William, in my opinion. Wow, that's a broad
2: game there right now, and and I don't totally disagree with you. Um, I, I think that this game is, um, you know, one that's going to be one on the field. Number one, number two, um, it's going to be a really big test. I mean, you know, after all the off-season um, media credibility that the interior of the offensive line at Alabama got. Um, You know, I think that's going to be a part of it as well. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think this game is very winnable for Alabama. If, you know, Tommy Reese and and Nick Saban, um, you know, pulls the trigger on on, uh, Jalen Milrow and then, you know, lets him run a, zone read offense and, and the passes that are, you know, dictated off of that, um, you know, if they can do that, um, then I think Alabama wins. You know, if they don't, you know, we're going to be, you know, shedding boohoo hoo tears uh, next Sunday um, about the Alabama t-
0: 2023 football team. No doubt. Well, I yeah I totally agree, Thomas. Do you have any closing remarks? I think I think we both believe Alabama can win this game, but it's like you said, it's going to be a slobber knocker. It's going to be a war. Alabama has to play complimentary football. I think they've got a great kicker and punter, which will play a uh, you know a, a a role in this game. You got to keep you know uh, obviously uh, Anaya Smith and making a big play as a punt returner as well. But I think with uh, Alabama defensively. They've got to force turnovers. They've got to pressure Johnson, make him uncomfortable, and then defensively, they've got to control the line of scrimmage, and the quarterback has to be a big part of the win, but uh, do you have anything uh,
1: that you want to add to close it out? Sure, Drew. And yeah. I'll, I'll pick a score at the end of this, I promise. So, so uh, as BAM's listeners know, I'm a stats guy. I like math. It's what I do. <laughs> it's been, in some ways, it's what I am. And... I woke up this morning after a very late night. Good Lord, that game didn't end until late. But I started looking at Texas A&M statistics. And I looked at Alabama statistics. And Texas A&M's run defense is legit. Like They simply are. Depending on what statistical model you buy into, it's top five at worst it's top 20. So let's just let's let's give it the let's give it credit and say top 20. And that's a real bad matchup for Alabama. Okay. So the next question is why is it a bad matchup for Alabama? Well, the first most obvious is Alabama wants to run the ball, particularly in our most recent case against the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Well, if you go back and watch the Mississippi State game, Alabama averaged four and a half yards a carry, which, or four, four point, uh, yeah, four and a half. I was right, excuse me. And that's really good. It, the reason that Alabama ran so much in a lot of cases is because Mississippi State played, as I said before, three deep safeties. And they thought, essentially, we're going to stop the run with eight. Sometimes they did stop the run with eight, sometimes they didn't. And here we are. So it really turns on, does the Texas A&M defensive coordinator and his defense believe that they can do what Texas did and play essentially either three deep or two deep with a shell under and make Jalen Milrow beat them? Frankly, I don't know. Because as much as you go nuts about Miami scoring 48 and Tyler Van Dyke throwing the ball over the yard, Alabama's not Miami. They're just not. Statistically, the profiles are radically different. So I, I have to believe that Alabama is going to be able to stitch together more of the dominating performances, and the leadership we started to see is going to manifest itself. Like, I, I'm, at this point, I'm in. Statistically, Texas A&M should win this game. They, they will that they should like if if you i imagine if you put just if you put take the a's off of the alabama jerseys and the AMs off of the Texas A&M jerseys and you just simmed it 10,000 times A M wins eh, 6500 out of 35 out of 10,000 something like that i don't really know i'm at, it's it's going to end up being like a 60 40 statistical split but i'm an alabama fan dog on it and I think this team has a higher ceiling than Texas A&M. I think that Max Johnson is going to get heated up because one of the things we haven't talked about is the interior of Alabama's defensive line has been getting better and better. Tim Keenan is a nose guard. If you go back and look at the the plays against Mississippi State that they were able to gash Alabama, Tim Keenan got single blocked. When he could could take on a combo block and just sort of stand up, that jammed everything up. So – I'm going to be honest, I'm going to take Alabama to win this game against my stati- statistical instincts. I'm going to go 30, 31, maybe 33. Let's go. Let's go 33-28 Alabama. And again, as I said previously Drew, should that come to pass to uh, to my folks I speak to and if you want to speak to me, you know, constantly, sub- give us a few dollars on Patreon, we ride. But we'll see. You know, we'll find out. Coming, well, you know, ask me this question next week, Drew. Otherwise, i have either eaten crow or I'm happy as a lark that my math did not work. Well,
0: I think we're all three on the same page. It, it all revolves around the coaching staff and Milrow and and playing to his strengths and getting him to play to those strengths in order to win the game against a very good A and M team. It's gonna be. It's gonna decide where the season's going for the University of Alabama, no question about it. But it's been a really good show with a lot of good, I think, uh, you know, feedback and, uh, you know, a, a nice review of uh, of what we saw against Mississippi State, but mostly, you know, conversation about the matchup with AM and how this team needs to continue to evolve from what we saw on Saturday night. And we appreciate, uh, you know, the gentleman out in California with the Patreon and uh, and, you know, and listening every week and really enjoying our podcast. We appreciate all... Everyone tweeting at us and supporting us. Uh, we look forward to coming back and hopefully having a a a, uh, a a good review of a of a road win, the biggest road win, the biggest win of the season in College Station next uh, next Sunday. It's going to be certainly the toughest test of the season uh, since since Texas, and really as tough as Texas, I would think, in some ways more difficult because of it being on the road. But we certainly are hoping to have. Uh, Some uh, positive things to say after a big Alabama win on the road in College Station because there's nothing better than Alabama beating Dirt Neck, a.k.a. Jimbo Fisher. And, again, Jimbo did some talking at SEC Media Days, said they should have won last year. They were looking forward to this year. Hopefully Alabama will play their best game and ruin the Aggie season and knock them, uh, you know, out of the college football playoff picture. But for Thomas the wizard Watts, for William Redfish Barger, We appreciate everybody for listening on this Sunday. We'll talk to you in seven days. Uh, And everybody have a great week. Roll Tide.
1: Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? In my dentist's office